0: Amen. You know, over the past five weeks, our church has been in a series of sermons that we've called Pray 20, where we've been uh, looking into the power of prayer, to what God has put before us as this means of drawing close to Him, and then His means of unlocking His power into the world. And it's been an awesome series. We even finished last weekend talking about what do we, how do we pray, how do we still trust God when He seems silent? And I think about how we spent five weeks doing that, and then the very next week, the tipping point happened in our community where the largest public health crisis has happened in the past 100 years since the Spanish flu in 1918. And y'all, I don't know exactly what God is doing with that. I wouldn't claim to know his thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. But I know he's had us in the spiritual gym, so to speak, getting some prayer workouts, because right now is the time where we really need to flex those muscles. All right, and really need to pray and get, be, get before him. So what I want to do is talk for a few minutes about the passage that God has really um, latched onto my heart for years now, but definitely brought back up uh, today. And that's Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And here's why. There was a moment uh, towards the end of this week where the, the tipping point happened in our culture. You know this. It was where uh, the, the different sporting events and different organizations said, all right, we're closing Where public schools said, we're closing. Concerts, we're closing. Churches all had to say, hey, we can't come together and meet. we got to close our doors. And what happened was that for a lot of folks, as you started, if you watched any news, that the language and everything else started to try and incite fear. Fear and uncertainty, excuse me, fear and uncertainty really started to reign. And certainly a lot of people are responding to this this moment in confusion and in panic. I mean, you see it, of course, in the the stores, right? Panic buying uh, was probably the big way we saw it. People running around buying loads and loads of things that they may not really need, but they're just scared, understandably so. Well, it's not the first time in history that people have been scared, that Christians have been scared, have been in an uncertain moment. And I think about the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church, writing into a moment of uncertainty, of confusion, of worry and fear, of suffering. Y'all, he loved the Philippian church. It was the first church that he founded in Europe, and it just, it held a special place in his heart. He was imprisoned there when he was preaching the gospel, and I feel like that's kind of like the Apostle Paul's Paul's, um, mark on a spot, you know? It's like, go, preach, go to jail, Somebody miraculously get you out and then go on to the next town and go preach, right? And he had that happen, of course, in Philippi. Now he's writing to them from a Roman jail. And arguably, he's pretty aware that he knows he's not gonna get out of jail this time. He knows he's going to the end of his life. And the Philippians are concerned about this. They're aware of it, they're concerned about it, and they got a lot of suffering that they're going through, a lot of persecution that they're going through. They're under some pretty uncertain times. So Paul grabs his pen and writes to encourage them. And y'all, again, he's in a bad spot. He's in jail, but he's writing to encourage them in their faith. And I think writing to encourage you and I in our faith in this moment. And some of Paul's greatest hits are in this thing. I mean, you think about the, the little short letter to the Philippians. You got to live as Christ to die as gain. You got let my life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got Philippians 2, 1 through 10, right? Which is Christ who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself to the foreman. One of the most Christologically rich passages in all of Paul's letters right there. You've got whatever I have, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. You've got forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead, right? To knowing Christ into the glory that'll be revealed, to the upward call of God in Christ. And then... All of that sets up chapter four. And chapter four opens. He says, So, church, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. While the wind is blowing pretty bad, I want you to stand firm in the Lord, plant your feet in a way that you cannot be moved, and I'm going to show you how. And this is what we need to hear right now. And it starts in verse four. And I'm just going to walk us through for a few minutes verses four through seven. We'll actually hit verses 12 and 13 as we finish, and I just want you to receive encouragement from the Lord. I want your heart to be filled up with joy by the time we're done here in this moment together, okay? Uh, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Man, what a great word to us this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. I think it's really big, in a passage that is gonna end in Paul calling us to pray, He doesn't say, okay, first I need you to pray, then I need you to work yourself up to a space where you're actually able to rejoice. No, no. He says, start with rejoicing, always. And then he says it again. And he out loud says, hey, I'm saying it again, right? Like for the people in the kitchen getting refills right now, let me say it again. Rejoice, rejoice. Reminds me of Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, that's how it starts. The Lord reigns, let the whole earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, so let us rejoice. And what you rejoice in, or rather, who you rejoice in, is everything, right? The Lord. Paul's been through some hard stuff. His people are in some suffering too. And he says, listen, the people of God are not a people of fear. Because way deep down inside of us, there is this nevertheless core to who we are. Nevertheless, come what." may it's a rock that we stand firm on we cannot be shaken in fact what often happens is the suffering when suffering when we encounter it it strips away things that were distracting us from the lord so maybe we even raise our hands more during these times and we say yes lord i'm choosing to set my joy listen to me the secret to your joy it's what you place it in that's the secret And I'm choosing to set my joy in you, God. Even now, I will rejoice. Because the reality is, y'all, there are lots of things we can try and place our joy in, and they're getting stripped. You place your joy in the stock market. How did you feel this week? As it went up and down and up, right? And it'll probably go that way for a while. You place your joy in anything in this world, it can be shaken. That's what we're feeling right now, is that that can be shaken. Will you place your joy in something that cannot be shaken? In Jesus, who is still alive, who still reigns, in God, who it is against his character to change. Man, then your joy is secure, and you can still rejoice. And I do want to say, I know, it take just a moment to say to some of you who might be struggling to rejoice because you're struggling with how God could allow all this. You know, you kind of go through the mindset, through the thought of, well, I thought God was supposed to be all-powerful and all-loving. And if he was all-powerful, then he'd have the power to stop this. And if he was all-loving, then he would stop this. And that's not happening. So I don't even know if I trust God or if there is a God. Listen, the reality is the fact that we sense that things like this are not supposed to be this way is actually evidence for God, not evidence against God. When, when we say this virus is, is bad, Like, people shouldn't suffer like this. It's so random in the way that it's happening. Nobody deserves this. These are all statements grounded in a belief that there are universal rights and wrongs. And y'all, that comes from somewhere. And what I'm telling you, and what God's word has been telling us for centuries, is that that comes from the image of God implanted in us. There is a tuning fork that we are created with that senses right and wrong. And that's, that's God crying out to you even through your own created order saying, listen, yes, you, you're right. There are right and there are wrong and that's evidence that there is a creator who made right and wrong and he is good. Listen, suffering isn't evidence against God. It's evidence for him. And his love for you, listen, his love for you is not conditional on your circumstances. It's not, never has been. His love for you was made clear at the cross and in the resurrection where he met our deepest need, and that's salvation from our sin. And nothing changes that. And so in this moment, listen, in this moment, you'll either judge Jesus' love for you through your circumstances or you'll judge your circumstances through Jesus' love. And the call that Paul is making to the Philippian church and the call that we are making this morning that we're standing firm and planting our feet in is that we are going to judge our circumstances through the love of Christ for us. And we're able to stand firm because of that. And the reason Paul says rejoice is because re- he is looking at his circumstances where he's in jail on his way to his ex- execution and he's saying, man, I have the unshakable love of Christ with me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So what's the first way we respond in this moment? I feel like actually what you're gonna see in this little section is almost different like worship postures, different hand postures. And the first way we respond to this moment is with our hands lifted high, we rejoice. We rejoice in this moment. We rejoice because we have an unshakable hope. We have eternity secured for us with God the Father. We have the presence of God with us Sealing us until the promised day of our redemption. And nothing can shake that. And that leads Paul with that sense of joy. Again, not just confidence, but confidence that's celebratory. Right? That's excited. That has found not just salvation, but has found love as an adopted son or daughter of God. With that in mind, he says, verse 5. And this verse has been illuminated to me fresh this week. Let your graciousness be made known to everyone, the Lord is near. Your graciousness, be made known to everyone. What we see now is that rejoicing is not just private, it's public. And all of, out of all of the Jesus-like character traits, he says to make sure the world knows, he says the one I want you to make sure that the whole world knows about is your graciousness, your generosity. We really need this right now, don't we? I mean, church, we need to lead the way in being gracious with our national state and local leaders we need to be gracious with our bosses and employees about 10 days from now we're going to need to be super gracious with our kids right for those of you that have them we also need to be gracious with our neighbors we need to be gracious with complete strangers so when the people around us and the community around us scramble to hoard supplies y'all saw one lady i mean just frantically pushing uh uh, shopping cart with 20 gallons of milk I'm like I mean that's just gonna go like what are you just gonna go bad right? <laughs> what are you doing what, whatever um, it's panicked hoarding but that, that's true colors shining through right that really is hey here's what's here I, I'm afraid and I don't know what to turn to but Christians turn around and say no no no. we actually want to be gracious with everything we have and want to be gracious with everyone we want to be gracious to the milk lady, right? We want to be gracious to people who need supplies. And we want to give away what we have in order to serve others. We want to be gracious to our neighbors. What an amazing opportunity we have there. Uh, by the way, our missions team is working with a few organizations here in the city, a few schools to find out how we can best serve our community. I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, at the end of our time together this morning. But what gives us peace? to give away what we have, even in moments where it feels like, oh, we need to hold on. It's the last part of this verse. The Lord is near. The Lord's near. The one who holds, we just sang it, everything in his hands. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns the whole world, he's here. And y'all, a scared world right now needs a fearless church. And the way we are a fearless church Church is because we believe that God in heaven is right here with us even now, especially now. And so we celebrate. How we respond in this moment? With our hands lifted up and then with our hands extended out looking for ways to be gracious to everyone. In the history of Christianity, crises have been pivot points where where Christians, with this quiet confidence that the nearness of God gives us. We have served others when everybody else went running for the hills. So let's get creatively gracious and kind with our neighbor's church. I mean, think of things like, hey, neighbor, I know your childcare situation has been just totally messed up. Is there any way I can help you out with that if you have the ability to do that? Or maybe it's, hey, older neighbor, maybe I can go run some errands for you because I know this particular situation is uh, you're more vulnerable to this so let me help you or maybe it's just hey neighbor i smoked a brisket for you yeah. because brisket equals love yeah. anywhere and everywhere right whatever it is whatever it is let's let's be creative and intentional y'all our neighbors are going to be there's a, a cool moment happening here going to be more inclined to just engage in conversation because like everybody else we're all kind of going a little stir crazy after some time indoors and some time disconnected because we are created for community we can't help it we gotta have it I've had more interaction with my neighbors just in the past few days than I have in a while and it, it's natural makes a lot of sense let's seize that moment to be gracious with everyone with the love of Christ because the Lord is near and because the Lord is near because the Lord is near verse six is what he says next don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god now that that don't worry he has to command it because it doesn't just naturally happen right naturally we worry the philippian church was worried they were scared suffering around them was was real. I'm guessing if we would have called that last sermon series instead of Pray 20, we would have called it Worry 20, and we would have said, "Okay, guys, we want to challenge you to worry for 20 minutes every day." I, I think everybody would have been uh, done. End of day one. Great. Next series, right? We naturally, instinctively go there. Listen, right now, right now it's no joke. I mean, there's some real things that that can stir up worry and fear in us, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, several of you who. You're concerned about your income and therefore about how you can provide for yourself, for your family, for others. I mean, it's real. I, I'm not in any way wanting to trivialize that. Uh, even I myself am a, a worrier that the Lord has done a lot of work in. So we can't just not worry. That worry energy has to go somewhere. And, and y'all, if I, go, I will go looking for worry, right? I'm never better off for it. But Paul tells us, here's where you put that energy. He says in everything, in the small stuff, but in the big stuff too. And this feels like a big stuff kind of moment. Through the means God has given us, through prayer, prayer draped by a blanket of thanksgiving over it, thanksgiving for who God is, for what he has done for us, for all of his promises, for all of his blessings. In that thanksgiving, pray. Present your request to God. Tell God what you are being tempted to worry about. So in that, our hands lifted up, rejoicing, our hands extended out to be gracious to our neighbors. Then we pull our hands together, we clasp them, and we kneel, and we pray. How we respond in this moment is we pray. Pray with thanksgiving to God about everything. That's how the Holy Spirit begins to break worry's grip on our souls. It's through this way. The purpose of prayer, by the way, isn't to alleviate worry. Prayer is not like a stress reliever. That's not why you do it. The purpose of prayer is communion with God and calling his power and his purposes to be carried out in our world through us. That's the purpose of prayer, but it's not surprising that when we pray, we experience God's blessing that he has for us. And Paul tells us what that blessing is. That's verse seven. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, the peace of God. Is it, I mean, if that's what we need right now. Now, let's acknowledge what Paul says. This is, a, this is a peace that surpasses understanding, which means, y'all, basically neither I nor any other theologian in all of history can fully explain the peace of God. But if you have it, you know it. And there is nothing that will settle your soul like it. Peace of God, it steadies the soul, steadies you. And this peace is the promised result of prayer. And what I love is, it's the promised result of prayer, not the promised result of answered prayer. We don't have to wait on God to answer our prayers in order to have peace. Peace is the product of prayer itself. You see the spirit of worship that Paul is building here? First, rejoice, and then find some way to give away God's goodness to somebody else. And then while your hands are raised up and extended out, pray, what's gonna happen? Peace is gonna happen. A steady soul abiding in the love of God, especially in uncertain times. It's peace, a peace that we can abide in John, this is the Gospel of John, John 15, 9. Abide in me. Make my home. Make your home in my love. Abide in my love. Then you'll bear much fruit. Y'all, when we rest in who Christ is and what he's done for us, there is a steadiness to the soul that he promises us. And when you get there, you'll be able to honestly say what the Apostle Paul says just a couple of verses later, starting in verse 12. Another one of the greatest hits from the Philippians letter. He says, I know how to make do with little. And church, we need to hear this today. I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Y'all, God who is still in control has put all of us in some way or another in a moment of, of need. And what's the secret of being able to be content in need? Man, the way I can do whatever comes tomorrow, whatever comes the rest of this afternoon, I know this I feel like this whole situation is still hour by hour, so whatever comes later today and, and tomorrow, how can I do that? How can I walk through that with a steadiness of the soul? It's through him who strengthens me. So my hands are lifted up, and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to have my hands extended out, generous with my neighbors. I'm going to be on my knees, desperate before God, communing with him. And all of this is only able to happen because of him who strengthens me. And he promises he's going to provide that strength. Listen, the core belief of our faith that must be true for our faith to be true is that Jesus died for our sins But then he got out of the grave. He is alive. He's alive. And that power that got him out of the grave, that power God says in Ephesians is now available to us. So this morning, in the middle of all this uncertainty, we can rejoice. It's available to the whole world through us. So let me close with this. The thing that you might be able to do through him who strengthens you, for some of us, it's just gonna be to stand up today. It's gonna be verse one stand firm. And and fear has a way of crippling us. And what I hope you hear from this is that you can, not in your own power, but in the resurrection power of God, you can stand firm and lift your head and know that the face of God is shining on you. You can stand firm because the Lord is near. Because Christ has won the victory over sin and death. Because he reigns He holds you. He's close to you. He has not forgotten you. You can stand. And maybe what you need to do today, maybe it's going to be a physical posture, like you have been curled up, you've been scared, but this morning you're going to stand. That's going to be what you do. And then we can go beyond that. We can let our graciousness be made known to everyone, especially right around you, whatever that looks like. I believe, I think we need to believe, that God has a big work, that he is beginning right now. A unique, a powerful set of days that are ahead, I believe, for us, Mercy Church. I want to talk about that in a minute, but first, I really want to practice what Paul says here. I want us to pray. Because that's what we're going to spend the next few minutes doing. All right, I'm going to lead us in kind of a, a time of prayer. If you've been attending Mercy Church Uh, In one of our gatherings, you know what this looks like. It's where we kind of divide up into groups of twos and threes for a few minutes, and we just pray through the scripture and through the ideas that the teachings that we just heard. And that's what we're going to do now. So, there, whether you're by yourself, whether you're with some roommates or your family, I want you to pray out loud. You know, we often say that the room should sound like a bunch of children talking to their father. Well, The same is still true. A bunch of rooms should now sound like children talking to their father. I want you to pray. We're going to start, Just we're going to kind of follow the movement of this passage, which starts with rejoicing. I want you to thank God for your salvation, for being in control now, that that God is both sovereign and he's good. I want you to thank him for that. And listen, if you're not a Christian, I wanna invite you in today. The Lord is inviting you in today. I want to invite you to receive his salvation that he offers you. Yes, your sin has separated you from God. But the reason Paul says rejoice is not because of what he was able to do to make himself right with God. It's because God came and rescued him. And that same rescue is extended to you today. You say, God, I believe that he died for me. And maybe this whole thing has kind of shaken you and woken you up a little bit. We've been praying for an awakening around Charlotte and maybe that's what's happening to you this morning. Say, God, I receive the forgiveness for my sins that you offer me through Christ's death and resurrection. I receive that. And if you're with somebody, you tell them, man, I'm receiving that today. I, I believe that today. You tell them, and you guys pray together and rejoice and thank God. Thank God for your salvation. I'm going to give you that prayer point's going to be at the bottom of the screen. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to pray that, and then I'm going to come and lead us through the next thing. And We're going to do this about three or four times before we close out our time together. Okay, so you go and you pray. As you continue to pray, I want you to move from that hands lifted high to now hands extended out. It's like Paul said in verse 5. I want you to ask God for for eyes to see opportunities for you to show the graciousness of Christ to others, to to your neighbors. God, I want to be gracious and generous. I want to extend the love of Christ to my neighbors God, I want my community group members, I want them to see the graciousness of Christ through me. I want you to ask God to show you ways that you can put on display the generosity of God. Maybe you need to think of your one that's far from God but close to you. God, how can I be generous with them? I want you to ask Him. I want you to bring up names and, and ask Him and maybe even spend a moment listening and seeing what He might say. We'll take another just couple of minutes. And then I'll lead us through our next, our next prayer point as we continue through these verses. us now to follow the Apostle Paul into verse 6 where it says present our request to God with thanksgiving. With a thankful heart. Thankful for what God has done in your life. For how he has rescued and redeemed you for the many blessings he has already given you with that thankful heart. Now I want you to bring your request to him. I got a couple of things that I think is important um, for us to pray for and then I want you to get uh, personal with the things that, that you're just, man, they're weighing on you right now. But a couple of things I feel like we need to pray for. We need to pray for our leaders, right? We need to pray for our nation's leaders who are working hard and trying to work together and they've never been through something like this and uh, we need to pray for them. That God would be gracious to them and God would give wisdom on wisdom to them. So I want you to pray for national, state, and local leaders, for our public health officials. And the second group is for our medical community. Uh, We have members of our church who are in hospitals. They work in hospitals, in different spaces in the medical community, and they are not only giving tireless hours, but of course um, seeking to calm a lot of fears and still not sure of their footing as well as they walk through this. So I want to pray for an abundance of grace on them as well. And then on top of that, it's whatever that you uh, just need to take to the Lord that would be something that you might be tempted to worry about. Instead, I want you to give it to the Lord. Give it to him as much as you can. Give it to him. And let's spend just a couple of minutes praying now and presenting our request to God. You continue praying. The Apostle Paul closes this passage with a promise. The peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard. Will guard you. It's gonna be a shield for everything that would come and want to create that that worry, that uncertainty, that fear, that panic. No, 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 no. The peace of God is gonna guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Y'all, there's no way I fully understand the mystery of the peace of God in full. It is too great for any of us to fully understand, but I know it comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. That if you have placed your faith in Christ for your salvation, and if you're standing firm in what Christ has done for you, the peace of God is promised to you, and God will not fail to deliver on his promises. So here's how I want to close this prayer time. Charlie and Noah are going to lead a song and maybe you need to respond singing the truth that we heard earlier. Singing about the thankfulness that God does control everything. Maybe in this moment you need to receive the peace of God and allow these words to represent the promises that God is near, that you can rejoice because he has saved you, and he has, he has never left. And he will be with you always, even until the end of the age, Jesus tells us. So he's with you now. So as, as they sing and lead us through this, this song, I want you to receive the peace of God. Then I'm going to come and close out our time together.